0: some people who talk and some people who don't which means that there are some people who leave this place and some who do not leave you are obviously staying has it ever occurred to you that you're just as much a prisoner as i am oh my dear chap of course i knew too much we're both lifers i am definitely an optimist that's why it doesn't matter who number one is it doesn't matter which side runs the village <laughs> I will not be pushed, filed, stamped, indexed, briefed, debriefed, or numbered. My life is my own. They're frequently dumb, but they're sometimes astute. They're always
1: emphatic on a degree absolute. They're breaking the prisoner right down to the root. That whole TV show on a degree
0: absolute. If you like lava lamps and weather balloons and whack From Patrick Lagoon, Chris and Glenn made a podcast, especially for you. It's no degree partial, it's a degree absolute, absolute.
1: Glenn. Chris. Talk to me briefly about your phone setup.
2: My phones, my phones are. A- I know
1: that, that telephone discipline is a big issue for you. You you don't like it when an actor who's trying to get us invested in the reality of the fiction that they're trying to sell us fails to observe some detail, like when you know we establish that one phone goes one place and one phone goes another oh, sure. place, and okay. then they just they they yep. occasionally don't realize there's a, a special significance to to each of their props in this case phones
2: yep it's just kind of like on star trek when they just kind of flip just press press the glass randomly as if that's that goes to the phasers and that goes to the engines do you feel
1: like star trek was a little careless with its keyboard <laughs> discipline?
2: i think uh, brett spiner decided that he would assign something and he he was consistent uh not everybody else was
1: okay I don't know, man. I never even noticed that. I wondered what happened to make everybody go flying out of their chairs on the bridge every time yeah. that they, they took a hit.
0: I've already got a female to worry about. Her name's the Enterprise.
2: Well, Nichols was also pretty consistent as well, but all she had to do was kind of <laughs> that one button. So.
1: But she had that cool earpiece. She did. It sort of looked like an antenna. Mm-hmm. Because the dish, and I, I was corrected on this point once, the little dish and the, the bottom part of the Enterprise, that's not a communications disk, Glenn. That's the deflector that generates some kind of protective shield around the, the ship so that it doesn't get punctured by meteorites or, or whatever when it's flying through space.
2: You're talking to the choir here. I, I knew that, Chris.
1: Okay. It wasn't on the pre-employment exam at uh, Smithsonian Air and Space if
2: you If you own the Star Trek technical manual, as I did... And I think still do. Uh, you would know all that, and so much more. <laughs> like the going, they go deep on how the uh, the holodeck works. They go deep on uh, a lot of things that they don't necessarily need to go particularly deep on. What What is your question about the telephones? What What, uh, what led you to this line of reasoning?
1: Well, it's just something that uh, has has come up again and again as as we made our way through the episodes of the prisoner. You you seem to really seize upon which actors, which number twos, knew which phone. Their bread was was buttered
2: on. I mean, red is number one. Orange is control. Yellow, I'm not really sure. I think that's uh I think that's your you're into into water sports. I'm not sure exactly what the yellow is for.
1: Yeah, but I mean, weren't there episodes where we we saw someone making casual use of the red phone?
2: The red phone to you know call room service. The red phone. Yeah, to, it
1: was it was annoying. Yes. Lady, do I sound like I'm ordering a pizza <laughs> on the red phone? <laughs> uh-huh, there you go. I really didn't have a good idea for, for an introduction here. I don't know. You've, you've talked in the past about how you need to listen to me through your earbuds and listen to yourself through your phones, and it's, uh, yeah, some, it's some bizarre bifurcated jalopy system you got going on over there. Mm-hmm. It's a Rube Goldberg device. I, I need to thank listener uh, at UrbanSpaceman64 for, for suggesting this week's topic, Glenn. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is truly crowdsourced in as much as, as a single man. Can be can be a crowd, a crowd. Sure. who who um, thought we should rate the twos. Actually, I think he he just wanted us to maybe lavish some superlatives on the on the twos, but okay. um, I'm sure your instinct was the same of mine, which was simply that we rank our top six.
2: Yep, yeah. yep. And I was determined not to make it uh, predictable, so there's a curveball in there.
1: Oh, okay. I'd like to. I'd like to. You're going to be a contrarian.
2: This was hard, but we'll get into it. First, we have to introduce ourselves, do we not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have to welcome the listener in. Oh boy. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I know. (laughs) See,
1: see, you're you're just champing at the bit to grade me harshly.
2: It's champing, but yes.
1: Champing, champing, champing.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, I think I knew that, but I also just. I refuse to accept it because I know what the verb to chomp is. I don't know what uh, champ is a is a noun to me. I don't know. I don't know what to champ uh, is to uh, do. Champing like, is
2: chomping if you're a horse. That's basically the only. Okay,
1: difference. like chomping, like like you got some kind of bridle around you and you're trying to. You're like biting down on it furiously because you're trying to escape. Ch- mm-hmm. Champing whatever mm-hmm. at the at the bit. I don't know. I remain yep. skeptical yep. of this, Glenn. It's a good bit. Um, <laughs> Why are we debating the, the, the semantics of equestrian sports? That's <laughs> <laughs> a good question.
2: I don't have a ready answer.
1: Well, obviously, it's because in 1966, Patrick McGoohan, star of the long-running TV spy series Danger Man, resigned at the height of the show's popularity to create a new series about a spy, resigns from government service, and wakes up in a serious, inescapable village where many residents, certainly not all of them, are identified only by their numbers, surreal and provocative, silly and pretenses ahead of its time, and innately and unambiguously and lavishly of its time, that short short-lived, long-tailed, short-lived, long-tailed series was called The Prisoner. It was. We welcome you now to the private, personal, by hand, tangent tolerant, properly punctuated, punch card driven podcast. Podcast. I've I've done that before, <laughs> where we take this unclassifiable and unforgettable television series, and
2: we push it. It's my turn, right?
1: No, it's my turn. Is did it? you prepare? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. No. Well, did you make a list?
2: I did. But all right, fold uh, it up, never put it in remember. your. No, all right. Yep. I'm saving it put for, it for a in your pocket,
1: Glenn. Good. Okay. 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 Uh. We push it like the hosts of a narrowband podcast about the half-century-old brainchild of a briefly powerful and possibly insane British TV star, devoting their longest episode to date to *The Phantom*, a film in which a diminished Maguire appears for three scenes totaling approximately five minutes.
2: Yeah, we push it like the premise of this podcast. Yeah, yeah. although that's not entirely fair because we're talking about the prisoner again. We're back at home. We're we're it's it's old home. No, week, no, baby. no. We're
1: back on safe ground. I mean, I would, yeah. I certainly would not say we're we're pushing it. At this moment, but a couple weeks ago uh, uh, Just prior to your departure for uh, uh, a, a very luxurious vacation in, in some kind of like Gated, uh, moated Protected, uh, I don't know, probably Non-extradition treaty uh, Moated? Okay. Yeah, surrounded by a moat Okay, moated,
2: okay, alright, okay all right, all right. Hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah.
1: Alright, what's my grade? What's my score?
2: Oh, um I'm five, I don't know. Like
1: five. Oh, very generous Okay <laughs> In our defense, the phantom was also very unpopular. We stamp it like Terence as the silver-haired gentleman, the overbearing Dad, presence.
2: We're, we're kind of, you got to file and you got to index, dude. Push, file, stamp,
1: index. And that be pushed, stamped, filed, and yeah. That is
2: pushed, filed, indexed, stamped, briefed, know, be... debriefed, or number.
1: Yeah, it starts with pushed and then it goes to stamped.
2: It doesn't. Push, filed, index, stamp, briefed, debriefed, or number.
1: Is this the hill you want to die on, Glenn?
2: I do, I do.
1: Push-stamped, filed, indexed, brief debriefed, or numbered.
2: Maybe you're right. It's, I think it's push-file, indexed, stamp.
1: Do you listen to our show? Because <laughs> we do. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's push-file.
0: Uh, you know,
1: I am going to leave this in, I think, but, in, you know, unless by chance you're right, in which case I'll just, just reorder all of yeah, these so sure. that it seems yeah. like yeah. I don't right, know. No, no, but I think, um, all right. Keep going. <clears> We're skipping a stamp. I stand at five. no. We stamp it like Terrence as the silver-haired gentleman, the overbearing presence, who creeps out Thomas and Mackenzie in London's West End, and Edgar Wright's divisive new horror mystery, Last Night in Soho. That
2: was That's uh, what I had, too, so <laughs> I'm not going to be reusing these. Uh, like we're an old geezer in Edgar Wright's Last Night in Soho, a film I did not like. Even a little bit.
1: This geezer was top of my list.
2: Yes.
1: I'm feeding bloody pigeons in the park.
2: Uh-huh. Got it.
1: All right, what's my score?
2: Oh, uh, well, uh, Great Minds. I'm going to give that a six. All right. I'm going to give the movie a one. Thank you. But...
1: No one dislikes that movie as strongly as you. It's true. It, it, it does seem to be a little uh, lower on balance than the usual right stuff, as it were. Mm-hmm. Uh, we file it like the reprimand that must have gone into the supervisor's H.R. dossier after Patrick Cargill's number two fired him and hammered into anvil, and then he reappears in the control room in a change of mind right after that, just in time to catch a brutal reprimand from Darren Nesbitt's number two for improvising a bit by leaving the watchmaker's daughter's door unlocked.
2: Mm-hmm. Eh, five out of six.
1: All right. You're, you're being awfully it's kind today. It's
2: appropriate. Not pithy. But it's, uh, it's keyed uh-huh. to yeah. tonight's topic.
1: Uh, we index it like the calibration of the derailleurs that cyclists must periodically attend to to ensure their bicycle shifts reliably unless they're riding a penny-farthing bicycle, which I guess is a pretty good visual metaphor for the idea of technology run amok because I really don't think a fixed-gear bike with one giant wheel and one tiny wheel would be any better than walking, Glenn. Yeah,
2: that's a two out of six. That is a, that's a long bike ride for... Almost nothing. Wow. Long bike
1: ride. Okay. You are unknowable. Unknowable. Mm-hmm. I am. We brief it like Guy Dolman, late of such Harry Saltzman-produced spy films, as Thunderball and The Ipcris File, taking the newly arrived number six on a tour of the village via helicopter.
2: Okay, it's a brief because he's giving number six a briefing. Is that? Yes. Is that okay, Okay. sure. A well, four out of six.
1: More of a tour, but... Uh,
2: I, it's, that's why it's not a six out of six, Chris.
1: All right. You ready? Mm-hmm. We debrief it like Peter Wingard with a crane driver in the public toilets at Gloucester bus station. Oh,
2: uh, God. Mm, that's, that's a six out of six. <laughs> for so many simultaneous reasons.
1: Billy was a
0: queer, pilly, sexy hippie. He wore gear, frilly, hairy, zippy, mohair in the winter, less hair in the summer. His mac was black, scarf immaculate, tied
1: loosely, knots interfered with, promised purity. His solicitor clarified that uh, Wingard himself was not homosexual. I'm I'm using the language to because that's what the solicitor said. That's not mm-hmm. the, the word I would use, Glenn. But uh, mm-hmm. he uh, said that after visiting Gloucester to buy a curtain rod. He, Wingard, had entered the lavatory and used a glory hall during a, quote, mental aberration brought on okay. by excessive drinking.
2: Okay, all right. Uh, it's it's me. I love it, but let's move on.
1: I mean, sometimes you just need a curtain rod. <laughs>
2: yeah, sometimes you just need a curtain rod. <laughs>
1: yep. Uh, we number it like my foil-stamped limited edition Vinyl Me Please reissue of Booker T and the MG's Soulful... Seasonal Stax, S-T-A-X, classic in the Christmas spirit on Blue Christmas Vinyl, Glenn. My, my copy is number 563 from a pressing of 2,000. That's okay,
2: you know. one out of six. It's a
1: bah humbug from, it's a from for me. It's
2: got nothing to do. It's, it's, it's way up there. It's got a there. number it's, on it. It's got a number
1: on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, our inquiry into this unclassifiable and unforgettable television series and related documents, although we are just back to the primary source documents after yes, after are. many weeks of field. This week, uh, it's not of a degree insouciant.
2: No, no, nice.
1: It is not of a degree erratic. Nope. It is not of a degree hinky.
2: Ah, good one, good one, fugitive. Uh, yeah, you're right. It's not. What is it, Glenn? It is of a degree absolute. It
1: certainly is. It certainly is. So uh, once again, at the the urging of. At Urban Spaceman sixty four, <laughs> we are presenting our list of the top six number twos. They are not all tied in second place. We have used that joke already. Mm-hmm. The, sure. the forever runners up. So let's let's talk methodology here for for a second, Glenn. How did you arrive at your your
2: pace? I'd love for this to be to some have some kind of great you know logical infrastructure on which I hang this ranking. It is pure gut. It is um, I. Am attracted to those number twos uh, who have glasses and eyes like the water off the Azores. Uh, okay. But I didn't pick Darren Nesbitt uh, from, from It's Your Funeral. I didn't pick him. Alright, um, I
1: got you he, covered. I'll, I'll just spoil okay. my list there. Pray continue.
2: He is giving you something besides being bad guy. Besides being evil, he is, he is doing business, actorly business. He's creating a character, um, and that's that's what appeals to me because a lot of these number twos kind of shuffle in and shuffle out without really leaving much of an impression because that's how they were written frankly or how they were acted people just coming in as kind of day players the ones that made my list are the ones who left an impression and many of them um the impression they leave is of someone who is always one step ahead With number six there's a confidence there's a uh, amused quality to them that I that I re- reacted to, but uh, that's that's my I don't know criterion is uh, th- they they have a third dimension as opposed to just being kind of a cardboard
1: cutout. Okay, boy, I, I hate it when I ask you a question and you and you answer sincerely and, and knowledgeably, Glenn. <laughs> really, <laughs> what what he really gets my goat. Okay, so I first created a ranked list of candidates based on uh, my numerical weighting of how close they came to oh, breaking number six. I then cross-reference uh-huh. the screen time of each number two you divided did. by the actual number of minutes in which we know that they're number two because some of them are not revealed as number two until the climax of the episode. What? Yeah, you know, like Mrs. No, Butterworth. I know, I know. or like, totally I didn't actually do Yeah, math. so then I created a, a matrix that I did no, I, I totally, I eyeballed it like Sully Sullenberger. Going
2: okay, there we go. Good Lord. I thought I didn't know you for a second there. <laughs> that would be, that would be, I mean, that's, that is, that would be Insane. People have done it, I'm sure. But uh, no, that's not. Uh, yes, we fly a little looser. We're seat of our pants here.
1: Did you know that if you draw a little schematic of the Overlook Hotel while you're watching The Shining, it doesn't match the exterior of the building at all? Did you know that, Glenn?
2: I did know that. Blah blah blah. Seinfeld's apartment. Blah blah blah. Yes, all
1: this. This is well covered territory. If we don't talk about Seinfeld on this podcast. Okay. All right. So who you got? Who you got at number six? Who are number six? <laughs> who are your guys? <laughs> it comes to number (laughs) twos.
2: Patrick Cargill, Hammer into Anvil. Um, Also for his singular presence on the Many Happy Returns uh, episode where he's, what I like about this guy, he is your bitchy gay uncle. He is great to hang out with in the lobby during intermission because he's got all the, he's got all the tea. He knows, he knows what's up. Uh, He also has, in Hammer into Anvil, the clearest arc of any, of any number two, right? He's not a real character. Say, say that much. Mm-hmm. He's not. He's kind of a cardboard cutout. He's a straw man. But they give him, because his arc is... Uh, gets defeated by number six, he describes a wonderful arc <laughs> as he passes through the air that I think uh, works. It, this is probably biased by the fact that this is the episode I've seen most often, because uh, as we mentioned when we covered this episode back in the day, in college, my roommate and I would watch this episode over and over again, because it was satisfying and immediate, and not particularly... Um, abstract in a way that a lot
0: of the other episodes are. Who are you working for, number two? For us! For us! That is not the way it's going to sound to X-O-4. I swear to you! You could be working for the enemy, or you could be a blunderer who's lost his head. Either way, you've failed. And they do not like failure here. You've destroyed No. You've destroyed yourself. A character flaw. You were afraid of your masters. <laughs> A weak link in the chain of command, waiting to be broken. Don't tell them. Don't report to me. I don't intend to. You are going to report yourself.
2: I like Patrick Cargill. I like his kind of uh, angular, ferry face. Uh, I like how he can be. He is drawn to be mustache-twirling. But again, it's it's the clarity of the arc that I think I'm reacting
1: to. There. Okay, on our hammer and anvil episode, you you indicated that your estimation of this episode had fallen substantially on this yeah. this last revisit. But did, that didn't diminish your estimation of Cargill's performance.
2: No, because that's what he was asked to do. He fit the brief, right? He he didn't, he ticked the boxes of just capital E evil, snidely whiplash evil, and then he he makes some good choices on his way to. Uh, Dissolution and uh, destruction. So, yeah, still I still like him.
1: Do you have a favorite line reading? You've destroyed me. No. Yeah, but I think oh, that's good. That's really right good. There at the end, there. outstanding.
0: I won't go for it. Whatever it is, so you may as well stop trying. We never stop,
1: Number Six. In the Number Six position, I have Darren Michael Horwitz, better known by his professional name of Darren Nesbitt. Okay, good for you. Yes, from a change of mind, uh, the, the brill-creamed blonde hair, the glasses chewing, the phone acting.
2: Yep, yep.
1: The zeal... There you go. I forgot about that. Yep. ...with which he expounds upon the capabilities of the new super-strength Mopropamates. Mm-hmm. Um, she was given a drug
0: yesterday, one of the new super-strength Mopropamates that we've developed. She doesn't know anything about it, of course. Yesterday... Hmm. Well, the drug remains dormant until triggered by the nervous system, and then it releases itself uh, to the desired quantities to produce instant tranquility or, you know, temporary oblivion.
1: Still with us, Glenn. Born 1935, he's 86 years old. He was in something last year called The Haunting of Margum Castle. Okay. Unclear whether that's a television series or, or a, a movie or a TikTok or, or whatever, <laughs> but... Um, uh. He's the guy who, um, in the the special features of the network Blu-ray prisoner set, was uh, recalling how he didn't have any clue about the motivation of the character or, or what the village was, or and uh, that McGowan, who of course had loudly fired director Bob Asher before lunch and taken over as director, just just kept yelling at him not to play at his comedy. Yep, I uh, could not. Provide any any clarification as mm-hmm. to uh, what Nesbit was doing wrong, or or what objective of the scene he was missing, or or anything like that. So, four decades later, Nesbit still seemed sort of irritated yeah. about this, but uh, you know, agreed to uh, participate in the documentary. So, mm-hmm. anyway, he's he's my number six is uh, Mister Nesbit.
2: I'm glad you mentioned him. He was my number seven. He was my honorable mention. He was the one who got nudged off my list. And that's because of those eyes. But yeah, I like that you picked out the phone acting because that <laughs> is something, that's a choice he made. It's a big choice, but it <clears throat> it fleshes out the character a little bit. He is someone who is trying to get the word in edgewise and is being obsequious to number one. And uh, yeah, that's, that's, uh, he, he sets up, this is what a good actor can do. He can set up a relationship. Uh, to someone who we don't see or hear, right? That's, we know the nature, the timbre of that particular yeah. relationship.
1: And I, I feel like most of the the twos, when they're being uh, threatened or, or berated or chewed out or whatever by number one, they're just signifying that by repeating what's supposedly being said to them on the other end of that phone. Yes, 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 the Bob Newhart effect. Nesbitt throws in a little of a, oh, thank you, thank you very much. Like, yeah, uh, he's a... <laughs> so number one is is flattering him as well.
2: Yep. All right. My number five.
1: Number five.
2: Kenneth Griffith, the girl who was deaf, and of course, the president in Fallout. Um, I don't know. I just like what this guy's serving. He's funny. I I think he's very, very funny, and I think uh, he's having fun, and I'm glad he is, because someone should be, and it doesn't seem like Patty McGee is. (laughs) So... (laughs) He just has this um very squirrely charisma he He is a uh, comedic actor who has great comedic timing, uh great comedic delivery. um yeah, it's just I just I just like I like this guy. whether he's dressed up as Napoleon or he's got a powdered wig he um he projects this wounded authority figure. He's is uh, someone who who is fighting f- to be respected
1: and uh, losing. and I like that. It's certainly a relatable position mm-hmm. to be in. I don't know. I think uh, I. I wish I didn't remember him more vividly as the president in in uh, Fallout than I do as uh, the the villain in the Girl Who Is Death. Yeah, he's he's trying to launch a rocket, right? Yeah, he's to, not he's, give, he's, he's it's, not it's given the Moonmaker,
2: right? He's not given much to do, but you know, I think, and I'm letting the Fallout stuff color his placement on this list, which isn't fair, but it's just flying by the seat of my pants.
1: All right. Uh, for number five, I'm going with uh, Anton Rogers from The Schizoid Man. Uh, really? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Because, right. uh, you know, he's uh, old old pals with uh, Flapjack Charlie Curtis, uh-huh. uh, who he remembers um, even a job from the Black File doesn't suppress old Charlie's appetite. And he he complains that here he is stuck in admin. Okay. So I, I infer from all this that uh, Anton Rogers is a guy who has uh, garroted a, a mofo or two on, mm-hmm. on village orders in his, his time. We're still trying to
0: discover why Rover killed number six. We're going to be held pay. Mm. You are to return immediately to report your failure. My failure? You wanted him broken. I've broken him. I wasn't a ego bizarre. Well, nor was I. You studied him. You should have known it was your idea. That's a strange thing to say. You know it wasn't. I certainly didn't resist. Bearing in mind its origin, no, I didn't.
1: Nor did you. He died in 2007 at the age of, of 74. Um, so I think he was working right up to the end. He died of a, of a heart attack, seemingly. Suddenly went on after the prisoner to appear in Day of the Jackal and Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Mm-hmm, sure. Yes, along with Scrooge, as you as you pointed out, um, mm-hmm. which, which was the real... Eureka moment for me. Yeah. Discovering that I I could recall that song that he he sang, though I didn't like recognize him in in hindsight. I think the fact that he is playing a, a two who has a relationship with the person he believes Six to be, the the mm-hmm. doppelganger uh of Charlie Curtis, gives him kind of an advantage over over some of the other, other twos and gives us a little more insight into the the nature of this this charade and what the village is, and then the way he he plays that scene in the in the minimoke at the end, like after he realizes that he's riding along with with real six, not flapjack Charlie. You have to go back and and watch this episode after you know how it how it ends again to to pick up on the the detailing he's putting into this his performance at at this point. We we talked about this on our Schizoid Man episode. Why would you bother letting six get on the helicopter at all if you you knew that he was an imposter? Yada yada yada. But he does get a minute or so once he figures out what's going on to uh, kind of calibrate his reactions to 2-6 to in the mini So So uh, Anton Rogers.
2: Anton Rogers. I, you know, it surprised me when you came up with it, but I do remember a lot of his line readings. And again, they're not like big choices he makes. He, his, two is very restrained, very much a person who's stuck in admin. But just the way he says, a la carte, table d'hote, uh, when he's uh, serving breakfast. Or... <laughs> To your point, that last, the very last moment in the episode where he comes up to six with a kind of sad look on his face. And there's a pause that he puts in that final line that makes it for me where he goes, Susan, that a year ago, number six. Uh, That's a good choice. It's a good choice. It's not showy, as I say, but he didn't need to be. He, he, he He is a company man through and through.
1: Now, since he knows he is talking to someone who didn't know Susan, because Susan was uh, Flapjack Charlie's former spouse, that, that right. note of sadness—he's mm-hmm. um, not trying to empathize with someone who has experienced a loss. So, what I infer there is maybe, maybe there is a little something between Anton and uh, and Susan, you know.
2: All right. Okay. Don't photo yourself.
1: that she had yeah. of her with like the it was like a feather bow or something i mean she yeah. was yeah <laughs> I was.
2: Right, you're gonna want to limber up before reaching that far but okay go ahead i appreciate that no i'm, I'm not gonna i'm not gonna, right, I'm gonna poo-poo and i am gonna poop on it but yeah but yeah sure
1: no we are we are here for everyone's outlandish theories including including our own clan okay who's your number four
2: my number four of course the great and good peter wingard and his eyeliner Number two, Checkmate, <sighs> partly because of his performance in the episode and partly for his lingering contribution to the art of rap. Uh, <laughs> a little bit of both.
0: But Billy loved his puritanical gear, his boots, his braces, his hair, and something else which was quite rare. Kenny was a doer pimply, Silly drear, whose only joy was knocking down a queen.
2: Um, I I just like, as we talk about when we did this episode, he is not phoning it in. He is fully present in every scene. Uh, He is given more business Mm -hmm. to do. He's given a scarf uh, that he uh, wears very fetchingly. A little little longer
1: than most of the scarves that we see. A little bit longer Uh, than most of the
2: scarves. He uh, kind of handles an umbrella in a slightly different way. He jumps off the screen in a way that Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the number twos don't.
1: Seems really, really chuffed to encounter a transistor
2: <laughs> in the wild. Yep. <laughs> everything everything about him
1: is great. Yeah.
2: Including the the hippie and the what? was it? The hippie and the square? The hippie and the skinhead. The and the skinhead. Okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. After, after,
1: after. Yes. Goes on to uh, far greater recognition and fame and... Um, was it Department H or Department J? I think Department H and then Jason King was the spin off mm-hmm. of of yep. uh Department H.
2: Does he make you horny, baby?
1: Cyril Goldbert was his real name, Glenn.
2: Would be wouldn't it be Cyril?
1: Cyril. Be, sorry. Uh, yes. Cyril, Cyril Cyril Goldberg. No, it's probably still Goldbert. <laughs> Lived to be ninety. He only died in uh, in twenty eighteen, Glenn.
2: Good for him. It's, yeah, uh, All that to working out with crane operators.
1: <laughs> He's number four for me as well. Oh, oh interesting. In a 2015 documentary series for, for Channel 4 called It Was All Right in the 60s, mm-hmm. <laughs> he expressed his unease, I'm just, just reading a Wikipedia entry here now, at having had to wear blackface to play a Turk in The Saint, but he said he had done it only in the hope that a theater director would cast him as Othello.
2: Oh, good Lord. That does not. That doesn't <laughs> help. That is not. He's not helping his case.
1: I think that's that's the standard Othello defense. No, sure. If you're in the Scottish play, then you're allowed to say the name of the Scottish play. It's only if you're not in the play that you oh, uh, bring uh, a bring a curse oh, upon right, okay. yourself by right, right, right. Yeah, the Scottish play, which which is not Othello. Right.
2: <laughs> okay, that's interesting
1: you know difficult for me not to to be influenced by his uh appearances on the avengers and and uh particularly i don't remember what uh, the name of his character in the hellfire club was but um mm-hmm. yeah the the sort of local chapter president of the of the hellfire club who, yep. who brings mrs pl along as his guest May it
0: scorch and sin, burn and boil, seethe and scald, combust and crackle, until we are inflamed, roasted, toasted, grilled, and cauterized. Until our bones crumble into that demoniac heat, that fire, that Hades, that realm of Pluto, that unblessed limbo. That purgatory, that pit, that Tartarus, gentlemen,
2: hellfire, hellfire. You only made it to number four on your list. That's interesting.
1: Well, it's a it's a very competitive list, Glenn.
2: It's a very competitive list. Okay,
1: but uh, I mean, this is probably the point at which I should salute. All of the, well, all of the also rans and all the people who made my list, I, I sang, uh gentlemen and gentlewomen. Mm-hmm. Helfa!
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep.
1: In honor of Peter
2: Wingard. Too evil. My number three is Georgie C. Hey there, Georgie girl. I knew it. You need have her Many happy returns, Mrs. Butterworth, that saucy minx. Uh, <laughs> she's got the she's got the pearls she's got the sweater set she is always mm. on and this is what I mean yeah, she I likes to feel
1: it. like there's a man about the place Glenn
2: she likes to feel a man about the place
1: and I bet there there is a man about the place uh, well, every sure time it is.
0: terribly interesting K-A-R 120C what's the engine number? do tell me 461034TZ Marvelous. I know every nut and bolt and cog I built it with my own hands then you're just the man I want to see. I've been having a good deal of overheating in traffic. Perhaps you'll care to advise me. Come here.
2: I just love how she is so amused by him. She is above him. She is totally in control of every scene that she's in. Uh, and yet we don't, if you haven't seen the episode already... We don't see the twist coming. We don't necessarily—it's not what we're where we're looking. She is hiding in plain sight, and she right. is a sexual woman, uh, and unafraid to uh, use her—not use her wiles, but just be sexy. Just uh, and and I think disquiet number six in a way a little bit. I think he finds her appealing and
1: like—is that because she's about ten years his senior? So so uh, even his usual. Revulsion at uh, any any hint of innuendo <laughs> or sexuality. Yeah. Maybe he just has to um, tamp all that down because she's his elder. Yep. More, I think, than than because he's a fugitive and she's sheltering him.
2: That's my number three.
1: Again, the episode does cheat. I mean, her performance goes a, a long way towards preventing us from seeing the twist. But there's there's also that that scene where she's being interviewed by investigators and uh, saying, "Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd help him and like. This isn't from Six's point of view or anything. This right. is the objective lens of the show. Just, just fucking cheating, cheating, yep. cheating, cheating. No, absolutely, yeah. But I agree with you. It's a, it's a great performance. In uh, third place, I have Mary Morris from, mm-hmm. from *Dance of the Dead*. Mister mm-hmm. Peter Pan, mm-hmm. role supposedly written for for Trevor Howard, future featured player as Cyril mm-hmm. in Mary, *Mary Queen of Scots*. Uh, she did. Leave us in 1988 at the the age of uh, 72. Um, mm-hmm. She played Elizabeth I on a, a record, <laughs> some kind of okay. historical reenactment record. I, this, this is the product of my 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 deep deep research. She's great, you know. When we we talked about our essential episodes, I I, I felt like Dance of the Dead could have been the sort of um, unsatisfying ending, but still an ending mm-hmm. of of this series with the the broken fax machine or whatever. Yeah. Whatever it is, I guess just the imperiousness with which she lays down the, the rules when she's dealing with number six, like a, a carnival. He's allowed to enter. Right. Yep. He's allowed to uh, to to go into the was it the town hall or, or you know, yep. whatever the uh, the the trial um, where she's officiating um, over his um, he's accused of owning a, a radio uh, okay. forbidden. That scene is great. The way she calls him mister Tuxedo.
2: Yes, yes.
1: Standing on the beach. I love all that stuff. And then she, she there is a weirdly personal note to her dominion over him where I'm I think she she says this is your world, I am your world. That's what she says. You're waiting for someone, Mr
0: Tuxedo Or expecting someone. Mr Peter Pan? So it seems. With his shadow You're being hostile again. What were you looking at? A light. A star. A boat. An insect. A plane. A flying fish.
1: Somebody who belongs to my world. This
0: is your world.
1: I am your world. I I don't think we've ever heard another two um, liken themselves to to six in, in, in quite so personal a way.
2: Yeah, if it if it had been Trevor Howard saying that, that would have been kind of sexy. Um, <laughs> kind of kind of weirdly sexy. Kind of uh, yeah. I'll just say I agree with you, and I'm going to leave it there. Mary Morris is good.
1: So you're number two. We had two already.
2: Wow. Yeah, we are
1: moving right um, along.
2: This is going to be the controversial one. This is going to have people sputtering into their earpods. Uh, Leo McCurran, number two, Chimes of Big Ben, Once Upon a Time, Fallout. I'm number
0: two. You are number nothing. I'm number two. Look,
2: nobody loves Leo more than I do. He seriously has, because he got so many bites of the apple, right? But he got the time to really flesh out uh his number
0: it means two what it is brilliant it means what it is brilliant oh no you mustn't let me influence you you are the awards committee he is
2: the most i would say actual actuated a uh, character the most real mm. of the number twos because he's that shown is a my hope that is my hope it's a range of emotions right not the range of emotions that uh Cargill? Patrick Cargill, yeah, get yeah. To do, because it's just along a, an, an arc, along a very, yeah. you know, he's on rails, basically. Liam McKern is not on rails, and he is given the time to invest that character with a lot of competing motivations and compassion and ruthlessness.
0: Overweening sense of self importance. A while here. His egomania has, if anything,
2: increased. It is just a great performance, but there's one better.
1: Wow. Well, you, you really have me in suspense now, Glenn, because I, I did wonder how we were going to get around the problem of, uh, like, I almost wondered if we should recuse McKern mm-hmm. from the list because it, it just seems so unfair. And, and, and certainly his appearance in The Prisoner's Shattered Visage 20 uh, years yeah. after the, the original series really... yeah permanently uh, ensconced him in prisoner lore forever and ever. Okay, Um, my number two, and, you know, she could, maybe she should have been my number one. Tick, tick, it's Rachel Herbert, of course. Of course. From Free For All, Uh, still with us so far as I have been able to determine, born in 1935. Her most recent credit was in 1994, so she seems to have... uh, have left the business. Um, for most of this episode, she is, of course, number fifty-eight, uh, the the driver and aide assigned by the reigning number two to the candidate number six, when he stands for election in the village. She has some sort of unspecified uh, Slavic, I don't know, dialect that that she speaks. She and and six can't talk to one another very effectively.
0: Lie. Is it- Ah!
1: But she is awfully enthusiastic and cute, which makes her, her turn all the more chilling when she starts slapping him and slapping him and slapping him uh, with the tick-tick. Tick, tick, tick,
2: okay. tick, tick, tick. I think, we're, I think we've identified your kink. Uh-huh. Good to know. Good
1: to know. Well, no, see, what I really like is when, when she, she asks me. I'm sorry, when she asks Six. Uh-huh.
0: Will you never learn? This is only the beginning. We have many ways and means, but we don't wish to damage you permanently. Are you ready to talk?
2: Will you never learn? Which is classic, like, almost cartoony villain speak, right? Will you never learn? Puny human. Like it's very,
1: yeah. Like, I mean, it's it's much better than will you ever learn. Sure, sure. Because you know, that would that would be a that would be a cry of frustration. That would that would be a uh, frustrated parent. No, no anguish. This is uh, you know, without the the cruelty.
2: And she doesn't push it because she's been going. She's been playing big throughout the entire episode, just ebullient. And uh, here she is, kind of reined in, completely in control.
1: La is it zona? zona.
2: I like this pick. This is a good pick.
1: <sighs> Rachel Herbert. Tick Rachel tick. Herbert. All right. Who could be better than Rachel Herbert? Who could be better than Leo McKern? Glenn, tell us. you insist on living a
0: dream, you may be taken for mad. I like my dream. Then you are mad. Now go on up to the town hall. May I? You may enter tonight. It's carnival.
2: Uh, We've already touched upon her, as it were, Mary Morris, Dance of the Dead, that thin-lipped smile. When you want to talk who radiates balefulness and just pure evil, the delight she takes in, in in lording over other people and how in the scene, in the trial, she kind of seems like she is actually being his friend, but she is always three steps ahead of him. She's always in complete control. The, the episode does her wrong with that final scene that the ending is not, it doesn't work, but... Everything well, else well M- McGowan shoes. does her wrong
1: because again, yeah. M- McGowan refused to shoot <laughs> the final scene, and then didn't like the episode. And the editor, John Somebody, had to to find a way to stitch existing footage together to give it sort of an ending.
2: Yep. Yeah, I know, I know, but I mean, she's just on top of it. She is. She exudes this kind of sinister smarm. Uh, I am all over love, love McKern, but I think maybe just from uh, over like the uh, the fatigue bred by over familiar yeah. qualities. I just this is such a weird series of choices that she's making that she really makes this the most evil of all number twos. I think. Mm. Yeah, go ahead. The the guy like Patrick Cargill. Yes, of course he's he <laughs> forces somebody out a window. Yes, I get <laughs> it. But there is just this institutional menace. In Mary Morris's performance.
1: Yeah, you said on our Dance of the Dead episode that she reminds you of your mom.
2: She uh, she has the same uh, hairstyle and uh, the same frame as my mother did. Yes, that's uh, neither here nor there. Uh, what do you what are you saying? What are you getting? Okay, at?
1: we don't abide nepotism on this this podcast either, <laughs> Glenn. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, of course, at number one I have that flexibly hipped old Rumpel of the Bailey himself. Obviously, yeah. I have yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Leo McKern uh, uh a three timer. He's like like Jeffrey Wright in the Bond films, Glenn. He's uh he is mm-hmm. a three timer. Um Chimes of Big Ben, Once Upon a Time, and then a propitious time later. Mm-hmm. Pulling a Lazarus in Fallout, pulling a Mr. Spock, pulling a Gene Gray, pulling a Superman, pulling an Agent Colson, mm-hmm. and uh coming coming back from the dead with a a jolly old laugh and some some green smoke and Mm -hmm. all of uh, the attendant pageantry.
0: I feel a new man!
1: (laughs) McKern died in 2002 at the age of 82. Uh, His most recent credit was in something called Molokai, the story of Father Damien from
2: 1999.
1: Oh, man. Have you seen this?
2: No, but isn't that like uh, that's not uh, the Omen, averse?
1: Maybe. I, don't know. I mean, <laughs> I don't know if it's that, Damien. <laughs> yeah, okay,
2: because I guess he wouldn't be a father, would he? He wouldn't be a priest. Uh, I think he's Sam Neill in the Exorcist, in the uh, in the Omen Three. I think Neill. I think
1: Sam Neil is in this movie, so it okay. might be uh maybe, maybe, it, it maybe. might be something in the the Omen averse. I don't know. It's it's uh, everything you you've already cited. It's it's the fact that he he had a nervous breakdown. That he was yeah. he was driven to to madness by Magoun and uh, came back and finished the the job. That he he gets to uh, put his his powdered wig on and and stroll right into the the Houses of Parliament at the <laughs> the end of of Fallout. After isn't he one of the the guys in the in the mobile. Um, Yes, the, the 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 waste disposal unit, the tractor trailer. Um, oh yeah, tell okay. that, that they're they're living it up, and yep. uh, what are they singing? They're singing something, Are they lip syncing to something? Aren't they singing Dry Bones? Yes, yes, dry bones? yes, yes, of course. A, a guy who has variously been been heard to say that that Magoon was a was a terror, and that it was a nightmare, and and also that it was a, a great experience, and that that Magooan was a thrilling collaborator, and um, maybe both of those things are true.
2: Why not both? Why not both?
1: Yeah, why, why not both? I think we agree that uh, Once Upon a Time is the finest individual episode.
2: All right, so who was on my list Who is not on yours? That's Georgina Cookson is on my list. I don't think she's on yours, right? That's right. Uh, Patrick Cargill isn't on your list. Kenneth Griffith isn't on your list. No. All right, who's on your list who is not on
1: mine? Um Rachel Herbert. Sure, smart one. I should have done Rachel Herbert. Darren Nesbitt. You number seven, uh, yeah, okay. and and uh, and Anton Rogers.
2: and Anton Rogers, Okay, all right, I can live with that.
1: Neither of us are talking about uh, John Sharp.
2: Um, which one's the, it? he
1: was from uh, a Change of Mind. Oh yeah, I'm gonna get to him. Do you, Do you have any, any superlatives? People who didn't make your list, but they still are worthy of of uh, some some honorific or other.
2: Uh, no, like, I can't think of any. I mean, like, uh, what's his name? Um, uh. No i can't the the mustachioed okay. number two with the glasses he's kind of the the most basic number colin two. colin gordon colin gordon yes
1: most basic. i uh, I gave him most ulcerous yeah for the way he's downing that that milk in a b and c not in the general, but of course mm-hmm. a b and c was supposed to take place after the general so sure. uh compounding his his failure um by allowing six to uh kirk the general into uh self destruct mode um mm-hmm. presumably that that's why he's drinking. Milk all through A, B, and C, but really I, I'd like to give that, that episode's award to the the big vibrant pulsating curvy red phone, but I can't. Uh, I have I have consulted the bylaws of this podcast and I and I can't. So most ulcerous is uh, two timer Colin Gordon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Although, ulcerous in the case of like kind of scabrous and gross is uh, John Sharp, who is kind of giving you Sydney Green Street a little bit.
1: It's true. A uh, stupid woman. Yes,
2: stupid. Uh, yeah, also a little job. He's giving you a little job. He's giving you kind of slimy. <laughs> um, and again, I, again, evil capital E, but just too one note. Too, he, he has no place to go, right? He's, he's, yeah. he's kind of keeping it at 11 throughout. So I still think Mary Morris is much more evil than he is. He, Like he wants to be yeah. Mary Morris. He wants to fit into the tights too, but yeah. I mean, like, he
1: wants to be Mary
2: Morris.
1: <laughs> I gave Georgie C. most hospitable. Sure. You know, because no. I, I mean, she invites him into her home, his home. Yep. Gives him her husband's clothes, lets him drive his old car. Mm-hmm. You know, feeds him those white bread mayonnaise fucking horrible looking sandwiches or yep, promises to bake him a birthday cake and, and does keep that promise. It keeps promise. yep. Yeah. So, um, really you could not criticize her as a, as a host, as an, as an entertainer, very considerate. Yep. Evil probably, but oh, um, sure. not without manners, Glenn. And, uh, as you've she already said, crazy. you know, she, she's still got her, um, joie de vivre. Mhm. Yep. She certainly does. She she could The uh Lotus isn't the only thing that's overheating in traffic when uh-huh. uh, when Georgie C is uh behind the wheel, Glenn.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's just so good. She's everything about her. Everything about her. Every last damn thing about her is just so good.
1: Uh most Napoleonic is uh,
2: obviously Ken sure. Ken Griffith. I
1: mean, that's mm-hmm. that's a it's an easy one.
2: I think John Cleese would make a good number 2. He has that kind of straight-backed um Mhm. Uh, represent institutional um, menace that uh, is kind of important I think Michael Palin would make a lousy number two because he just is too nice that guy radiates yeah. charisma and um, and even when he's playing someone who's a real dick there's always this kind of cute twinkle in the eye yeah kind of work. Um, Graham Chapman would have made a good number two um, because he could embrace that kind of uh Doctor, you know, I'm a big professional and you know nothing, kind of thing, which some of the twos have. Um, uh,
1: what do you think of Diana Rigg? Oh, wow, that would have been so great. Yeah, I would have, would have loved that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I would have loved that. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. All, all my, um, all my, my picks, they seem so, so basic and obvious. Uh, just people who sort of occupied the same space a generation later or half a generation later. I'm like, obviously mm-hmm. Anthony Hopkins could have been a two. Um, sure. You know, uh, Brian Cox could have been a two. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really any of your Hannibal Lecters probably maybe, maybe not Mads Mikkelsen, but yep. uh... Tilda Swinton. Yeah, I'm sure she was
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>
1: somehow. I'm, I'm certain. I'm certain that she was.
2: Quentin Crisp would have made it good, too. I, I can't think. picture Quentin Crisp. Help uh, yeah, Quentin me, Crisp is just this, uh, just imagine um, a, a dandy, uh, a fop, a big hat, sunglasses, um, just a big, b- hmm. big boutonniere. Um, uh, just an old queer author and of some renown who did some acting in um, Orlando. He played Queen Elizabeth. I think that was uh, stunt casting, but it was, worked for me. Um, yeah.
1: In, in so, Orlando, I, I have actually watched that in the last two years. I have actually watched that since the pandemic started. Yep. I, think it, I think it blinked up on Criterion briefly. And it's like 90 minutes, and it was late. So I was like, yep, yep this is, this is the, the time slot that I have available. Really, really enjoyed the revisit.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he is Queen Elizabeth going, do not, maybe Queen, yeah, Elizabeth, I think. Do not wither, do not fade, do not grow old. That's him. Linda Jackson. Yeah, uh,
1: yeah, right, well, right. We named her last week. Um, George Plimpton. I don't know. Let's, eh, let's uh, not British. Just John McLaughlin. Of...
2: <laughs> you, 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 I got to keep it British. I think Phil Hartman. It's kind of like, okay. Uh, again, this okay. Again, this is not, uh, the... this is not no. We're going exactly <laughs> the opposite direction that we need to be going in. We haven't named one person of color. Um,
1: Colin Salmon. I don't know who that is. In the the Pierce Brosnan Bond movies, he was. Tanner, who's the guy at MI6, he's like he's like M's lieutenant or something. And he was he was played by Rory Kinnear and the and the Daniel Craig Bonds. Mm-hmm. But he's always there, you know, he's always like standing next to M and he gets a few lines, you know, or he'll like you know narrate something that's happening on some screen or or something like that. Uh-huh. Huh. But this gets into uh my my whole I, I don't know, whatever Whenever we were talking about these these kinds of of genre films, that when you have a, a skilled actor who's in one of these parts, not not like a lead, not like a villain or a, or a number two, where you get to show some dimensionality, unless you're you're John Sharp, um, this is just a pet peeve of mine that that we frequently describe these actors as, as overqualified, that just seems dumb to me because I mean, like every actor at that level is is probably overqualified you know and there's and there's no project that that allows an actor to do everything that they're capable of so just why say that like you say
2: that but then then you see angelina jolie in eternals and you're like that's angelina jolie in a jumpsuit that is not thena that is angelina fucking jolie and don't tell me it's not angelina fucking jolie you're saying
1: she's she's overqualified to be in i i read your review your review very is long
2: it's long-ass reviews. It
1: reminded me of the the long reviews that I used to file to you. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Have you go? Oh, come on. Yep. Haven't seen the movie.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I it's it's just not that she's overqualified. It's that she is a personality as well as an actress, right? So she is she is bigger than the movie.
1: Yeah, no, this is your this is you even you even mentioned it in your review, your your uh to Robert Redford in, in Winter Soldier. Robert Hall, where... Redford saying
2: Hail Hydra, like Robert Redford should not say Hail Hydra. Nope, Should, don't say don't say hello, Andrew. I just
1: Bye. think you're wrong about that because he he sold it. He sold it. He he didn't like a wink or anything. He just he just played it straight. I th- I thought he was good.
2: He underplayed it straight. Yes, he totally he looked like he was just hangered for craft services that day. Like he just it was he was barely in that film in every sense of the term. Yeah, but we disagree.
1: That's okay. That's- we do disagree. Really, really good Marvel movie there, Captain America: Winter Soldier from 2014. Sure it is we enjoy it all right so are we going on to Silver Streak next is that are we going to stick to that plan
2: uh, boy it's been so fun to be back in the prisoner world you know
1: <laughs> well there is the the 2009 AMC we keep putting it off oh, that's not you can't find that anywhere can you Oh, you might have to spend $11 Oof, that's not that's not a good thing it's available in digital formats
2: um no we can do Silver Streak that's fine I remember liking that movie as a kid, whenever it would come on television, and it came on television a lot.
1: Okay. You didn't learn of The Prisoner until you were in high school, so you would have been unaware. You would have had no prior association with McGowan.
2: Right, and I don't think I made the connection, um, you know, having seen Silver Street as many times as I did. I don't think I ever made the connection, but I do remember him having a part, a rather rather large part, probably larger than he did in uh, Mary Queen of Scots. Did we mention last week, or the last in the last episode, that in that movie nobody except uh, except the Trevor Howard character has eyebrows? There's just no discernible eyebrows in that movie.
1: In *Mary Queen of Scots*,
2: not on Elizabeth. I think she shaved them off, or at least not on um, Mary. Not on Patty G. Just no eyebrows. It's an eyebrow. It's an almost largely eyebrowless film.
1: We knew each other a long time before we embarked on this journey together, Glenn. But I did not realize that you were. So attuned to the eyebrow content of of any any film.
2: Yeah, I mean it's it's a thing. Flesh-colored eyebrows, I have them, so I'm very sensitive to.
1: But your eyebrows read on camera. I can I can see your eyebrows right now.
2: That's good. The, the glasses help. <laughs> this is one of the reasons I wear glasses and not contacts.
1: All right. All comes out. Uh-huh. Okay. So Silver Streak next week. Till then, be seeing you. Be seeing you. Degree Absolute was conceived by Glenn Weldon and is produced by me, Chris Klemmick. I wrote our silly theme song, which was then arranged and beautifully performed by my dear friend Casey Aaron Clark on vocals and keyboards and her brother Jonathan Clark on guitar and percussion with Marcus Newstead on bass. Find out more about Casey at CaseyAaronClark.com and or VitalVoiceTraining.com. Write the Citizens Advice Bureau at adegreeabsolute at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at notanumberpod. Leave us a five-star review on Apple, Stitcher, whatever podcatcher you use to hear our show along with your Wildest Prisoner take, and we will read that take on a future episode. This week's topic was listener-suggested, so keep them coming and maybe sweeten the deal with sweets.
0: He never eats candy. According to the prognosis... It doesn't matter about the prognosis. It's wrong. It doesn't work.
1: sub one hour episode we used to do it all the time
2: absolutely
1: we used to do it all the time
2: we could try to come up with some other um, prisoner themed rankings um, for a future episode that makes sense yeah. to me although I worry we're going to start repeating ourselves more than we already are so we would need to come up with a really good uh, off the wall wacky wacky um, kind of uh Category, rubric, what have you. Hmm.
1: hmm. I'll think about it. Some something related to Kasho. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's see. Kasho.